and welcome back to Sharp Scratch. You're listening to episode 93, Baptism of Fire, starting in the NHS. This is a podcast brought to you by the BMJ and sponsored by Medical Protection, where medical students, junior doctors and expert guests come together and discuss all the things you need to know to be a good doctor that you might not get taught in medical school. I'm Charlotte and I'm the editorial scholar here at the BMJ, looking after all the content that BMJ student will be producing this year. I'll also be starting my final year as a medical student at the University of Oxford in July. And today we're joined by our panellists Laura and Judy. Laura, would you like to introduce yourself? Hello, my name's Laura. I'm an FY2 doctor in Hingingbrook Hospital near Cambridge. Lovely. Great to have you with us today. And Judy? Hi, my name is Judy. I am finally a fourth year medical student studying abroad in Poland. Great. So nice to have you with us. Um, And I'd also like to welcome our expert guest today, Elizabeth Mahays. Would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, I'm Elizabeth. I'm a journalist uh, that works for the BMJ and I cover all things health and clinical and at the moment a lot of junior doctor stuff. Great. So nice to have you with us. Um, So yeah, thank you all so much for joining us today. From the lingering effects of the pandemic to ongoing industrial action is a turbulent time to be working in healthcare. As medical students about to start working in this profession, it can feel really overwhelming and daunting to think about our future careers in the NHS. Today, we're going to be talking all about the things that we're worried about when it comes to the current NHS crisis. We've got Elizabeth with us to pull in evidence from interviews with junior doctors and healthcare leaders to get a broader sense of the current situation. And we also reached out to the rest of the panel and other medical students on social media to hear more about their concerns too. So I thought we'd start off by talking about some of the things we're worried about um, or might have been worried about before we started working as doctors in in Lara's case. Um, So yeah, Judy, I I don't know if you want to kick us off. Is there anything you've been thinking about in particular um, that you're worried about about starting a career as a doctor? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think at the moment it's becoming a lot more relevant for me because I've finally sort of gotten into fourth year um, and it all seems a lot closer. Um, At the moment I study abroad, so I feel like the perspective that I've got on sort of working in the NHS is quite different because I feel like I'm kind of looking from the outside in and I've also got the option of, of course, like returning home to Ireland to practice as well. Um, And I think just the general like feeling is just worry, Um, not feeling sure what to sort of like expect, especially with the current state of things. Um, Of course, like as medical students, we love, you know, medicine, we enjoy working in the field, but it's just worrying when, you know, we're going into this field that is, you know, I want to say all-consuming, you know, medicine, we're constantly studying, we don't just finish in med school, um, and we're going into a system that we aren't so sure what that will look like in a couple of years or how much um, we can be accommodated by. So I would say it's definitely a little bit, you know, worrying um, seeing the current state of affairs, and it's just something that, you know, you one would have to hope, you know, does get better in the future. Yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense and definitely echoes sort of how I've been feeling recently, um, thinking about going back to med school after having time out working at the BMJ feels like a really, yeah, it feels quite daunting to go back into final year um, amidst everything that's going on at the moment. Um, And it's interesting that you said about medicine feeling all consuming. Um, So when we reached out to people on social media, a lot of med students said that one of the things they were most worried about is like the work-life balance um and how that's going to impact on 
the rest of their life um, and what they'll have to give up to to do medicine. Well, before I started, I worried a lot about this too. I worried a lot about um, how much of my personal resources I'd have to use at work. And partly whenever you start a new job, you know that you're going to be... Ex- like a lot about starting medicine is actually common to starting loads of other new jobs in different professions. And sometimes we lose sight of that in the NHS because... We do have all this extra stuff too. But a lot of it's common job stuff. Like when you start a new job, you spend the first week's days absolutely exhausted when you come home from work because the language is new, the vocab is new, there's a thousand names to learn. You're constantly like watching your back as to whether you're doing a good enough job in a new place. Like that is actually a normal new job feeling. Add into that, of course, that you've got this extra element of worry that um, about patient safety as you start in an unfamiliar environment. That does add like an extra level of uh, tension, um, not to mention like the the sense of duty that that brings out in us to stay a bit later, to do a slightly better job, to to make sure all the loose ends are tied up um, and falling into the very easy pitfall of uh, of 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 like not wanting to hand stuff over because you want to do the job yourself and do it properly. Um and so these are all things, yes, I've experienced. And I did spend the first couple of months of my of FY1 really anxious, driving to work, feeling scared most days. And I don't, I say that with a little smile on my face because I, I knew it would be like that. And I also knew that it would end. And I knew that from talking to other doctors. I knew that from being on sharp scratch. So I knew that it would end and that made me feel okay about it. It made me feel okay about putting that time aside. You know, I didn't, I didn't continue my usual sort of hobbies for the first weeks or months because I knew I wanted to have enough time to sleep, see friends, do all the sort of like mental health stuff to make sure that I could put in all those resources at work, knowing that that would change over time. Yeah, and I've actually never heard anyone like raise the point that like it is just starting a new job. Like it's, It sounds kind of simple, but like, yeah, you're so right. Like any anytime you start a new job or even like a new med school placement like it is it is really tiring I mean it's really interesting to hear Lara's taking it and to say that you know it does kind of almost get easier and that you know it is and it is like starting a new job I mean I imagine I, I'm not a doctor I'm not a medical student I haven't lived that life but starting a new job in journalism is also terrifying and you don't have to deal with patient safety so that is a you know a big difference there but it is really scary starting a new job and i think especially for medical students as well or you know trainee doctors the kind of the fact that you have to maybe relocate must be a big added burden on that because you're also not maybe not settled in where you know everything is in your outside life as well yeah that's so true um I feel like that is definitely like a big a big thing that people worry about and that was brought up a few times actually is how when you start as a new job as a junior doctor you're often for many medical students that's the been the first thing they've done after school so maybe lots of people won't have worked a job before you know or it's been a part-time job alongside their studies or they've done tutoring but for I think probably a fair proportion of people that will be the first job they've ever done which you know adds another level to it as well. And you and I, Charlotte, we've had the like opportunity to do this full-time job in the middle of med school, right? Mm-hmm. And now from being an FY1, that's that's why I can say with confidence that some of it is normal new job stuff. Some of it's like normal new job exhaustion, right? Um, and working full-time, like, oh my goodness. No one ever talks about like <laughs> how much more intense it is than uni, but like in a very different way, you know, like in a very different demanding way. Um, but there is, you can see 
a really obvious difference, I think, with FY1s who've had a different job before. There's less tolerance for the nonsense that comes along with the job. <laughs> like an FY1 who's never had a different full-time job will bewilderedly go through things like, why Why is everything like this? Whereas someone who's had a, had a, had a job before, there's often a sort of a boundary, like an emotional boundary there that helps them acknowledge, you know, some of this stuff's nonsense. You can push back more appropriately when when necessary. You can set your own boundaries. You can help. It, you can help leave work on time better. You know th- those yeah. kind of things. You can have a healthy, re- healthier like... relationship with work. And then another thing that um, was like brought up a lot um, from the medical students who who answered about what they were worried about was kind of the lack of flexibility um, and you know, like thinking about all the things that they they thought they wanted when they went into medicine or went into the job have now like changed quite a lot probably um, over the last couple of years. Um, Obviously for a lot of med students who are in med school now, they've trained through a pandemic and we'll come on to talking about that in a bit more detail later. But um, yeah, I guess, Lara, do you feel like you are getting out of medicine what you imagined when you went into it? That's so hard to say. Sorry. It's, it's like... Uh, <laughs> Difficult question. Could it be a decade? Like, because I was at uni for seven years and I've been a doctor for years. So it's like over a decade since I had an idea of what I wanted to do. Now, I do remember some things. Like, I thought, well, uh, uni is, like, for medicine is a long time and I like school. So let's be at uni for a long time. I did get that get that out of it. Um, and you know what? Fun and games, the studying and the exams continue forever. So in a way, like... I say that somewhat cynically, exams exams suck. It's really hard to do long full-time work. And that's not something I worried about a lot before I started medicine, but something I've worried about quite a bit since. I didn't know. It was like an unknown unknown. I didn't realise that that was something else on my plate um, to come. But uh, but I like I don't know. I did want to keep on learning, and medicine definitely is that. You, you're like, you're never done. You can always be thirsty because there's always something else to learn. There's always something else to to like sharpen your skills in and um it definitely is sometimes very much just a job which is quite different to how i expected if that makes sense yeah i just always i always wonder at 18 for for most people going to university choosing medical school at 18 how much you really know about what the profession actually is at that point just because from my perspective I firstly I didn't even know health journalism existed at 18 when I was picking my degree you know I just feel like you learn so much in that time and I wonder yeah how much you maybe Larry you felt you knew going into the job and how different it is from that yeah I mean I, I like I, I think I had a bit of an advantage with two parents who were doctors one of my uh, one of my like earliest memories is going to my mum who was in bed following a night shift in the morning and very smugly saying, I'm never going to be a doctor because I'm never going to do night shifts. <laughs> and here I am recording the podcast literally after a set of nights. Here I am, you know. <laughs> she likes to rub that in my face sometimes. So I had a bit of a, uh, had a bit, uh, an advantage there in terms of knowing. They, they, they didn't want me to go into the profession, actually. They, at retirement age, they were thinking, this profession has changed a lot since we moved to the UK, since we moved to the NHS. Um, it's a lot more litigious. It's a lot more, there's a lot more like paperwork. There's a lot more like frustrating bureaucratic um, uh, barriers that that make their daily job difficult. But this is all a roundabout way of saying, I think you're right, Elizabeth, in that when you go to uni, suddenly you meet loads more doctors and get so much more of the um, corridor conversations where 
unfortunately, like loads of people like complain about their job at work. And I've had conversations with med students before where they, they say everyone seems so miserable all the time. And I will say to some extent, it's normal to complain at work about work in all professions. But particularly when you're on such a long university stretch, like you're working so hard, there's all this stuff in the news. And then you're hearing these really negative conversations at work. And not to, you know, add, let's add, you know, loads of junior doctors taking time off for mental health as well, like having to having to go off sick. It, it, it is a reality. It is, it, it's really tough to see it as a medical student to keep wanting to keep going. Um, obviously, the question was posed, like, you know, how much... Um, how much did you know about medicine before you sort of like started it in like at 18 um, and like thinking back I don't think I knew that much about medicine actually like I knew like what we would like generally be doing in terms of like clinical um, in terms of like education wise and in terms of like you know what's expected of us like what's a good doctor meant to be but I had no idea about anything to do with rotas or working full-time or perhaps not having as much time as I'm used to having when I'm not working or when I'm just in medical school. So I think that sort of difference is going to be something that's going to be a huge sort of jump. Um, so that's definitely something that I am sort of thinking about and that it does worry me as well. Um, and also as like a person, like I'm quite used to moving around, like I, I've moved to the UK, I've moved to Poland, sort of adapting to different uh, situations but then I wonder like if I'm having to move for training you know when does that kind of leave time for me to settle down in one place or to sort of make those connections or like those roots um in that place like in the places that I am um I know at the moment obviously being away from home is quite difficult because I've got friends at home that I do miss um but then I'm like is that going to be my life like all of my 20s I'm just going to be missing people from afar you know, so that is definitely something that I'm worried about there. Yeah, people really like echoed that actually in the in the form. Um, lots of people were talking about like time to have a family and like whether that will be something that, you know, they'll be able to do over the next couple of years or whether they just are going to keep being moved around. So I think there's like, yeah, lots of like big worries, I guess. Um, but it's reassuring to hear, Lara, that like, some of it is just normal um, and I guess some of it isn't and some of it is more like a symptom of the current NHS crisis. Um, so yeah, maybe we can come on to talking about that a bit more uh, after this message from our sponsor. Indemnity. You've probably not given it much thought, but it won't be long until the risk of claims and patient complaints becomes all too real. Whatever lies ahead, you need experts in your corner who offer indemnity and a whole lot more. That's why it pays to be with Medical Protection. There's our free membership during your medical school years, our wealth of training resources to help you become the best doctor you can be, and our international experience that protects you during your elective no matter how far from home you end up. In fact, there are many reasons why our members worldwide trust us to support and protect them throughout their careers. And if you're looking for one more, Every week, one lucky new joiner wins £200. That's the average student weekly spend. Just join for free and you're automatically entered into the draw. That's why UK medical students choose to be part of medical protection. You can't blame them, so why not join them? Visit medicalprotection.org to find out more. Um, 
So yeah, I thought now would be a good time to talk about like the kind of bigger, more like systemic things that the NHS is kind of facing at the moment. Um, and obviously at the moment, uh, so we're recording this about a couple, just a couple of days before the strikes are due to happen. Um, and when we asked the panel what kind of bigger picture things they were worried about, lots of people said the strikes and how medical students can know what to do with regards to the strikes and not undermine them. And we've got an episode, uh, an article coming out on that, um, which I think will answer those kind of logistical questions. But in terms of like the emotion behind striking um, and like how that's making medical students feel, I thought that could be something that's worth talking about a bit. So um, the authors who wrote the piece shared some quotes with us. And um, one final year medical student said that they're really pleased that the strikes are going ahead. And it made them feel quite emotional and moved to see that there was like a unanimous vote to strike and that they felt a lot of gratitude towards all the doctors who had voted in favour of striking because it made them feel more hopeful for the future, which I thought was a really, you know, nice way of putting it. And obviously this vote has been kind of a record junior doctor vote. Um, And yeah, I don't know, Elizabeth, have have you kind of had, you've obviously been interviewing a lot of people recently about this and what's the kind of general sentiment around this at the moment firstly I'd say I don't think it was just a record junior doctor vote I think it was a record BMA vote I mean 98% and a nearly 80% turnout is just incredible and I think I saw I saw someone on Twitter sum it up really well which was in like very few words and I thought that's I mean yeah that's it and it just it was someone who wasn't a doctor who had just, you know, retweeted uh, another journalist talking about the kind of raw numbers and they just went 98%. Yeah, they've, they've had enough. And I think that's that kind of sums it up. I mean, I definitely think, I, I mean, it's quite nice to hear from a medical student perspective of what they think of the strikes as kind of paving the way. Um, I think junior doctors have been pushed far enough and they're not going to be pushed any further. And, and I think it's it's really amazing to see so much solidarity within the profession as well. Um, you know, you've got consultants also saying, yes, you know, we will support you as much as we can. It's your, well, most of them anyway, it's, it's your right to strike. And I think, um, you know, we're also seeing GPs considering strike action. We're seeing consultants considering strike action. This is really a whole profession feeling. Um, and now I'm interested to see personally what the government's going to do because much of my coverage has been about the government refusing to do anything or to have these conversations and not just with doctors with nurses you know with ambulance workers and I don't know how long they can hold out on that but just yeah just from talking to junior doctors it's been they feel very very strongly about this and I completely understand why because you know we're saying some of this stuff is kind of new new job stuff you know it's always hard to start a new job um, but when they tell me the kind of some of the working conditions that they're working under, I think I, I wouldn't put up with that. So I don't know why you should. So that, that's the kind of sense I've got from, from interviewing junior doctors over the last few months. You're right. There is a sense of excitement, a sense of optimism, a sense that we're, uh, not so helpless. It, it, that's, that's, that's the feeling that this gives me that we've got an opportunity to make it clear what we want, how we feel ask for change, demand change. This isn't, you know, pay isn't the only change we need, but it is a, a very core thing um, uh, to to working life, shall we put, I mean, that's like a saying a spade is a spade, you know? But um, <laughs> the, 
it does give a sense it's so exciting it brings it helps us bring together it brings help brings us together it helps us like we're all saying as one this isn't good enough i mentioned exams earlier just as an example i mentioned exams like in the same period where junior doctors have had a 26 percent real terms pay cut the cost of the exams i've been taking has approximately doubled like what what am I supposed to do, man? Like run, like yeah. everything. <laughs> and then these exams too, like why am I even paying for them? And that's something I just mentioned because I didn't even know to to think about that when I was a, mm-hmm. a medical a medical student. It wasn't until I was like halfway through FI1 where I thought, okay, how do I, how am I supposed to do this? What am I, how, how do I crack on now? Yeah. Yeah. And it's crazy. But but definitely the the sense of we're doing something. I hope med students do see it as, as a a complete contrast to those like the doom and gloom corridor conversations which like are very real a a contrast to the awful things that we do like go through or see at work that are completely out of order you know I hope I hope it's like a welcome change even though I know it's going to impact on like train uh, on med student training and everything like I know it's not they've got their own like burden to bear in in this time as well um and it's not as fun as (laughs) going to a protest with your friends like it's it's like it's very different (laughs) it's a very different role but um but I do hope that it does give a sense of optimism and potential for change. Definitely. And I think that is I think that is the feeling that like lots of med students have at the moment. Um, I guess, yeah, that it's bringing back that feeling of optimism, I guess, uh, that's maybe been missing for a little while. I think there are there are mixed feelings, probably. Um, uh, There's a tweet from somebody who um, who's who said that we could kind of share their thoughts on on the strikes. And I think it's difficult because alongside that sense of optimism there can also be a sense of kind of more negative coverage in a way so um they said that they were feeling completely overwhelmed with the upcoming strike ballot and the state of the nhs got my med school finals in a few weeks and never felt more unmotivated seven years and three degrees later and i don't know if i want to start my job as a doctor that i worked so hard for and i guess elizabeth that's probably a sentiment you've seen echoed you know, in other places from junior doctors. Um, but yeah, Lara, does that kind of hold true to your experience? Are you still glad that you did all of this and glad that you went through those med school years? I am, absolutely. It's really tough when you're in the middle of med school, especially, if, I mean, not everyone has an easy time with med school. Like for some people it is rough just to slog the whole time. Mm-hmm. But well, like in itself, and sorry, and also it costs a lot and all of this, like it's not, it's not trivial, but Mm-hmm. Whilst you're there, there is, there's loads of opportunities that aren't medicine, that are medicine, loads of skills gained. It is not the end of the world to use your medical degree to do something else, to say, look, I got what I could out of this mm-hmm. and I'm now I'm going to take these skills and bring them elsewhere. You know, like you're going to be paying for that uni for the rest of your life. You don't owe anyone. <laughs> <laughs> so... um that you know that isn't that isn't a tragedy in itself you're not responsible for the future of the nhs as an individual yeah mm. but also being a med student has such the such specific feeling of working so hard and still feeling like you are useless in the team that's a really common thing that i felt like why am i here i'm a burden people are so busy they have time for me i'm trying to learn it's like a, a real uphill struggle sometimes like that clinical placement stuff um mm. and when you become an FY1 and suddenly have that responsibility like oh it's terrifying but it's such a kick as well like wow I am useful people would miss me if I was gone like that's what the strike's <laughs> showing isn't it not to mention that 
rotations, there's challenges with changing jobs all the time, but also it does give you the chance to have a terrible job and then have an incredible job and to be utterly surprised by a rotation you didn't think you'd love, but you absolutely do love. That's where I'm at right now. Like I'm in a place where I had a job that I hated and now I'm on a job that I love. And the relief of working in a team all the time, having a bit of responsibility, like making supportive clinical decisions, like I really enjoy getting to work at the minute. That's not something I could have like foreseen six months ago when I was like mm-hmm. like pretty down. Um, but like I said, it's still it's still fine to have gone through six rotations, FY1, FY2, and think, you know what? This was worth it. This wasn't worth it. There's something else I could be doing. My skills can be really useful elsewhere. You get loads of skills to all this stuff. And it's if you see it like that, if you know that you could be doing something else, you can you can always choose to stay and keep using your skills in the NHS because you want to be there. Knowing that you don't necessarily have to, knowing that you have so many skills, so many resources to, to take to take elsewhere as well if you need to. Yeah, I really like the way you framed that, like positively, actually. Um, but I think, yeah, thinking about it in that way, uh, like like you said, Lara, about like taking your skills and, you know, using them. That's like a really hopeful way of looking at it, I guess. I'll say like a real difficulty I see in some of my colleagues, like people who have it really tough are those who don't know what else, who have no idea what else they'd be doing if they were doing medicine. And that's so tough if you chose it from a young age, you've been working towards it for years and years and years. It can be really difficult to, to it's the, it can be a grieving process to grieve the vision you had of your future and to adjust mm. anything. It's not necessarily easy. But some of the people who seem to, to have it toughest during foundation years are those who feel like they don't know who they'd be if they weren't a doctor. And that's such a difficult position to be in if you're also having a tough time at work. It's, yeah. it's so worthwhile to think about where else you could be, even just so that you know that you're in the NHS by choice, that you're being a doctor by choice, not because it's your only option. It really isn't. There is, there, there's so many places you could be as well. And then I think another thing um, in terms of like bigger systemic things. So when we met with the rest of the panel uh, recently, me and Judy were talking to uh, some of the other panelists about things that they were worried about. And someone said that most of their um, like like colleagues, friends in final year are like thinking about their future in the NHS and thinking about, you know, I'll do one year or two years and then maybe leave. Yeah, Elizabeth, are you... Is there much data on like junior doctors leaving? Um... The data is difficult, but anecdotally, yeah, that's definitely, it's definitely a worry for speaking to the Royal Colleges, their presidents. That's definitely something they're worried about, especially, you know, Australia always comes up. And now that Australia is kind of opening up again post pandemic, that is, so I spoke to um, the Royal College of Emergency Medicine, their president, Adrian Boyle, uh, last month or so um, about the crisis and about what's happening um, at the moment in the NHS and he was saying that's something they're really keeping an eye on and it's it's hard to collect data on that often but you know we're seeing it from from other countries as well so we're seeing it from Ireland there's been a huge emigration mm. of doctors to Australia from Ireland as well and we're, and we're kind of seeing medical staff moving all over the world as well so I was just reading about Egypt they've had a big exodus of doctors there you know it's 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 not a UK only problem but I, and I, I'm not sure, quite sure what the solution is here, but it's it's definitely a concern for kind of a lot of medical leaders. And I think what Adrian Boyle was saying is, aside from pay, obviously we have the strike and, and, and that's kind of a separate issue. There are a lot of 
kind of low cost interventions that the NHS could be pulling in and could be learning from countries like Australia to make their staff feel more valued. Um, and they're just not doing them. And I think that's the question is, is why not? And I think often it comes down to cost or it comes down to, you know, they feel like a, a lot of trust feel like they're just firefighting. They're just trying to get through mm. what's happening right now. And then maybe they can think about that in the future. But that kind of short term approach is is probably not the best way of coming at things. Speaking of firefighting, when I left work this morning, so it's been raining a lot here. It snowed quite a bit this morning, but last night it was just continuous rain for the first half of the night. There's a part of the corridor upstairs. There's like 20 buckets in the corridor, inco pads on the oh floor no. and a hospital bed left out, presumably to prevent people from walking under a particular archway and a pole holding up the ceiling where there's a little crack. This hospital was not built to last this long. The roof yeah. is very vulnerable to rain. It is a legit concern that the roof is going to fall down at some point. Now, that corridor place is not particularly crowded. It would be an absolute tragedy if the roof fell down somewhere else. Like, I can completely understand that our hospital is going to be a little bit preoccupied with keeping mm. the roof up. I don't know if people really know, like, the the state of the <laughs> infrastructure. Like, we talk about, the, like, the human side, the, human, the, the, the employee side of the NHS mm -hmm. and, and, and the crisis, but... Are people aware that the hospital roof is threatening to cave in at any moment? Like, it, do people know? <laughs> I, I, re I really don't think so. And it's such a good point. Infrastructure is such a huge problem in the NHS. And often it's the most simple thing. It's, it's you know, making sure the roof is safe. Like, it's the most basic, non-medical things that need to be fixed. And before I was at the BMJ, I was at Pulse, which is a GP specialist magazine. And for years, that's what they were talking about, infrastructure, infrastructure. We don't, you know, you can give us this extra employee. We don't physically have the space for them. We don't mm. have another consulting room for them. We don't have, you know, a safe place that they could actually see a patient. It's some of the most basic things need to be sorted out in the NHS. And... I mean, they've been talking about this for years and it's just nothing seems to be changing. I think um, I think on what was said about sort of this being an issue in other countries in terms of seeing this exodus of doctors, um, I was having a look at some statistics of sort of the country with the countries with the happiest doctors. Um, and unsurprisingly, Norway, Denmark and Sweden um, are the top three. And every time there's like a a sort of list of like good things those countries always come up <laughs> on the top and I'm like how are they doing this um but like <laughs> I'm, just, <laughs> I'm just like how are you guys always so much better than us um and sort of it went on to talk a little bit about you know um the reason for like them being quite happy is because they there's a feeling of you know feeling valued at work and um knowing that you're sort of like supported um also things to do like i think we were talking about simple things like infrastructure but then also like it like failing it makes life so much more difficult when you're trying to get work done i mean you say that as well but nhs software is a massive problem and atul kawande mm. has written this like beautiful long read about um computers and why software for the NHS or for healthcare organisations is a particular challenge and is a particular like it, 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 a trap for developing good software. So I'd, I'd recommend the read of that actually. It doesn't make you feel better, but <laughs> it does, <laughs> does give you a bit of sense of the bigger picture. And Judy, you mentioned like staff wellbeing as well. Um, and I think like one of the things that 
I think I worry about a bit is like the working conditions in terms of the like interpersonal relationships. I guess when people are stressed, one of the first things that can go is like empathy or, you know, ability to create a nice team environment. Yeah, no, I can definitely um, sort of relate. Um, One of my very first sort of NHS jobs was, like I mentioned, the vaccination centre. And it was a huge centre at hundreds of staff. Um, But what I loved about the work, and I think this is why I have such a positive sort of image of, you know, potentially working in the NHS in the future instead of going home to Ireland, was that everyone was so friendly. I think it's definitely one of the things that made life working so much easier. Um, And it's also, I think, something that should be, you know, everyone should have that feeling. Like, you know, obviously going into work is stressful, um, but having a good team always, like, makes the world of a difference. Yeah, definitely. My favourite placements have been, like, placements where there's been a really good team environment. Like, I did a GP placement um, for a couple of weeks last year and like yeah it was just a really nice environment and I think that really that was a bit of a turning point where I'd not been feeling particularly enthused about medicine up until that point and that gave me like a bit of a glimmer of hope that actually you know this is this is more why I went into this um which is something I'd been really struggling with before that yeah and I think sort of to mention on um to sort of add on to that I think one of the reasons why it was so easy for people to, you know, be so social and be so like happy at work all the time was because there wasn't a lot of added pressure. Like our road time management was amazing. You know, there wasn't too, like we were barely ever understaffed. Um, So a lot of those attributes and those like things that would cause stress were sort of removed. So we were in this sort of environment that allowed us to sort of you know foster these relationships with each other and you know be super helpful and super happy um with each other interesting that you mentioned road coordinators as well because that's another uh, <laughs> like real factor in whether a rotation feels like a trap or feels like uh, a nice job um yeah, i'm lucky at the moment that i've got i'm working with one of the best road coordinators i've ever worked with so far and it does really uh, change how free you feel in your role like how you how you do feel like flexibility or how you feel like the system's working with you rather than against you yeah that does really help yeah okay so we'll talk a bit more about the way we're feeling about our future careers in medicine right after this advert i'm dr matt morgan alongside working as an intensive care consultant I work as part of the BMJ on examination team to support you in passing your medical exams. You can now get access to our personalised revision resource online and our app for years 1 to 3 totally free with code YEARS1233 as well as a huge 40% discount on our finals product using code FINALS40. We'll help you to pass by making sure you maximise your time. We'll deliver you the most important questions, keep you on track with daily reminders and give you feedback to show you how you're performing. We are committed to making revision easy, so start your journey to pass first time today by visiting onexamination.com to sign up or by downloading the OnExamination app and using code Years one two three three for years one to three three 
or code FINALS40 for 40% off our finals product. Um, yeah, so I guess in the final bit, it, it might be like, I guess nice to talk about how like we're feeling personally about like how, how things are going to go with the, the next few years of like our careers in the NHS. Um, and yeah, for me, I've definitely been feeling a bit wobbly about medicine. Um, but I think like, yeah, it's important to like try and keep your like attitude to it all balanced. It's easy to get swept up in feeling like it's all very doom and gloom. And Elizabeth, obviously, like working in health journalism, is this something that you've like seen a lot of, like those kind of echo chambery type conversations? Yeah, absolutely. And it it can be really hard. And I think I spoke to you, Charlotte, about this. I try not to open Twitter now, outside of working hours, because. Twitter, not and not just kind of med Twitter, but Twitter in general can be a really negative place. You know, you can really find yourself doom scrolling um, on all kinds of things. You know, the world is not the happiest place right now, just generally. Um, so I've kind of tried to cut back on on kind of that leaking into my personal life and having some kind of boundaries. And it helps because I normally watch Love Island, but this year it was terrible, so I didn't have to open Twitter to look at all the memes. So that really helped me cut down how much I was looking at Twitter. Um, but but I should say, it doesn't mean that the kind of, the negative stuff you see on Twitter, it doesn't mean that that's baseless. I think that's all, they're, they're making really valid points. I just think you have to find your own personal balance of how much time you can spend reading that just so you can get informed so you know what's going on so that you can make your voice heard but also then go okay I'm, I'm closing this now I'm going to go focus on you know what's happening in my physical space around me what's what's going on here and, and my own personal life so kind of finding that balance is really difficult um, but it's something that even I as someone who isn't a doctor and isn't personally involved in what's going on at the moment even I have found it quite um I kind of find myself feeling really negative about things and so I have had to kind of find that balance for myself um, while still you know being engaged and and making sure I'm informed on on what's happening. Um, I think that the fact that this is even like a conversation and that the fact that a lot of people are talking about it and are looking to sort of offer like alternatives or ways of change is such a good thing and I feel like I would definitely feel a lot worse if I just felt like all of these thoughts were just me on my own and I just couldn't handle the profession um but sort of hearing that there's an echo of voices um who are recognizing you know that there is an issue is so important um and then also it means that when we can have conversations and we can take you know action it means that inevitably there's gonna have to be change um so I, that keeps me quite optimistic amongst the sort of worries. Yeah, for sure. I think you can feel so isolating if you think it's just you. So yeah, hearing hearing from other people that like they may be feeling the same. But yeah, and I guess like as well at the moment, especially like with with the strikes, there's a lot of like kind of press about how about what the like day to day realities are like working as a junior doctor. But I think like there are a lot of like good moments like nestled in among all of that but like right now that's not what the conversation is about which is obviously like what's needed I completely agree with you Charlotte like part of the you know if we were planning to go for a strike then as part of 
getting that solidarity of partly getting that unity amongst doctors we had to talk about why we were doing it and so that's mm-hmm. been the conversation not not just in the last couple of months but like for a whole year more yeah longer you know in a way what we don't like about the job has had to dominate the conversation for quite a long time in order to get to this point where we could strike unified so that's also important to bear to bear in mind that there is an, a, a purpose to the shared misery at this particular time if that makes sense Absolutely. And, and a lot of it is about, you know, informing the public. I mean, yeah. you know, y- you as, as doctors, you all know what the kind of day to day problems are. But the public, I think, are, have such a different idea. We, we've seen it when we talk about a junior doctor pay and conditions and, and, you know, what the job takes. The public really are quite unaware of the realities. And so, as, as Lara says, there is a purpose in the in the doom, I guess, mm. in the media. Mm. And the last time we spoke about this, you said that it's important to feel like hopeful, not helpless. And I just really like that. And I didn't know if you wanted to kind of elaborate on that. Yeah. So as part of the work I do at the BMJ, we do a climate issue every year. And and climate is another, climate change is another area where you can very easily feel completely hopeless. You know, you need big change from the top. And so you as an individual feel like, oh, what can I really do? What's the point? You know, I, I don't control that oil company so you know there's nothing really I can do here um and so for the last issue that came out in uh, around the time of COP um it was about hope hope was one of the main themes and so I spoke to doctors from mainly from the UK also from the US about how they maintain hope and how they kind of the practical things that they do as part of their fight against climate change um and a lot of it's about in person speaking to people in person you know finding your communities and other people that might feel the same way as you and kind of going oh what can I change in my community what's the kind of local thing that I can do and that's what a lot of doctors are are doing who are involved in the kind of climate change work they're you know working in their local area and going maybe there's this small change we can do or even just finding your kind of the kind of small wins that you can get that that has really helped them maintain hope. And I guess on a larger scale, we're seeing that with, with the strike action, it's the same kind of thing. It's, mm-hmm. you know, come from very local, you know, doctors talking about the issues they're facing and, and built this up into a national campaign. So I, I do think striking is never easy and it's never an easy decision to make. It's never an easy thing to do. Um, but I think there is some hope in there. And yeah, I guess it's about feeling that like, if you if you feel hopeless then nothing changes because you can just be like really weighed down by all of that so yeah feeling like empowered to to make changes and like yeah Yeah, if you're hopeless then you you become apathetic right nothing Mm -hmm. nothing will change yeah because I think people people went into medicine for a reason they want to be a doctor for a reason they just can't be the best doctor they could be in those circumstances I suppose I'd also just like to mention that it's okay to not know where you're going and to not have a particular sense of direction. Um, there's still ways to enjoy the job without knowing, without having a passion for a particular specialty. Um, and it's and it's okay to take each year as it comes and to each year reevaluate why am I still here? Where do I where do I want to go? Just for the next step, it is okay just to take each year at a time and think, you know what, I'm going to do this for another year and then see what. I'm going to join a training programme and just do it as long as it seems the right thing to do. There, that is also a different way to muddle through, particularly in this time when you do feel like starting the NHS is a baptism of fire. It's really, really OK just to take it a couple of years at a time. 
<laughs> and and who knows you know you might be in for the long run you might switch careers and have a different kind of great life yeah yeah I think it's helpful to remember that because otherwise you do just end up you can end up feeling quite like weighed down by it all I guess Amazing. Well, that's all we have time for today. Um, so thanks so much to our panellists for joining us and for everyone to everyone at home for listening to this episode of Sharp Scratch. If you like our show, I'd love it if you could support us by leaving a review wherever you get your podcasts or by sharing it with the people you know. Tell your friends about it. That really helps people find the show. In an upcoming episode, we're going to be picking up on something Lara was just talking about, actually, about um, picking a specialty and, you know, sort of knowing where you're going next. Uh, so getting get in touch, get in contact if you have any questions or, um, you know, want to let us know anything before we, we start recording that one. You can find us at BMJ Student on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And if you'd like to hear other episodes, subscribe to Shop Scratch wherever you get your podcasts. And in two weeks time, you'll be notified of our next episode. Until then, goodbye from us. <laughs>